Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Thorpe is coming in gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Australia is back on the biggest stage. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we're speaking to one of the most popular players in the history of the Richmond Football Club. Athletic, with a big mark and a big kick, Michael Roach wowed fans for the majority of his 200-game, 607-goal career in the yellow and black. The man known as Disco was the inaugural winner of the Coleman Medal and a very important part of Richmond's 1980 Premiership side. Mick, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Sam. Thank you very much. Where do we find you on a uh, sunny Wednesday morning as it is? <laughs> in my office at work, actually, just in uh, in Camberwell in my uh, financial planning business. You must take great joy in watching your old club play footy these days. Winners of three of the last four flags, of course. Yeah, it's been uh, been amazing for for us old guys. I mean, we were the last Premiership players four years ago, and we're getting a bit sick of uh, being the last uh, live Premiership side. So. Um, uh, it's uh, it's just great. The last 2017, uh, 2019, 2020 has been amazing, and then the, and 2018 it was just awesome to be uh, to be following the Tigers. Um, it was awesome, really awesome. We're speaking to you with your old side three and three. Big game against the top of the ladder Western Bulldogs coming up this weekend, and Geelong after that. A few injuries as well. Nothing the club hasn't overcome before, but interesting times in this early part of the season, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's um... Yeah, I suppose we've now got to see what sort of depth we have. Um, over the years, we've been able to cover for a few injuries and, and then get the, the good players back for the finals. Um, hopefully, the, the the guys that are injured at the moment are not real long-term injuries. But, you know, we've missed some, certainly missed Floston and, uh, and now we're going to miss Dusty and, and Prestia. So those boys, you know, we've lost four or five good players to other sides that would help us uh, stay strong over those uh, injured times. Um, and, and now we've just got to see what depth we've got and hopefully that we find a couple of um, really good players uh, that come along and make us a, uh, a good side. And Dustin Martin will miss this week, as you touched on, with concussion. Just on Dusty uh, Disco, you're, you're a decorated player and you're a decorated player who played with a lot of decorated players. So I was pretty keen to ask you where you thought Dustin Martin might sit in the pantheon at Punt Road? Yeah, I I always uh, thought that Royce Hart was was uh, probably the best player Richmond have had. Um, you know, and then Kevin Bartlett, and obviously the great Francis Burke and and Flea Waitman and all those uh, great players, Jeff Rain. Um, but I reckon Dusty's 
knocking on uh, Royce Hart's door, if not may have gone past Royce. Um, you know, Royce was a, a fellow that could win the game off his own boot, um, and we know that Dusty has done that in, in the finals. Uh, so I would say uh, him and Royce would possibly be, uh, you know, up there with possibly the best players, Richmond. I mean, I, I didn't see the great Jack Dyer or any of those guys play, but um, mm. Dusty's very good. He is 29, I should point out. Uh, he's got a stack of footy left in him too, of course, so he's still riding. <laughs> yes, he's still riding that script at the moment. The changes to the game, um, Michael, have brought back the key forward to a large degree. We've seen their re-emergence in the first sort of portion of the season. Is that something that warms your heart, given, you know, taking marks, kicking goals was your, your bread and butter? Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's been nice to for the forward to have a little bit of space to lead up to the ball, uh, which all the full forwards in in our day were able to do. Um, you know, Plugger and Jason Dunstall and and uh, you know the Peter McKenna, Peter well not Hudson probably didn't lead a lot. He used his body, but um, yeah, it's it's nice to see. And there's a you know there may be a chance that somebody will be able to kick a hundred goals in a season. Um, you wouldn't have said that last year. No, absolutely not. No, it's been fantastic. Hey, let's go back to the beginning, Michael, shall we? You grew up in a, a small town called Westbury in uh, Tasmania, which I think, what, about half an hour west of Launceston. What, Launceston. Yeah. What was it like being raised out there? <laughs> oh, it, was, it was lovely. My my early childhood memories were, were on a farm. My dad worked for a, a, a farm, a big farm, um, and lived on the on the farm. That was part of his his job with uh, with my, well his father, my grandfather, and and they worked on the farm. And then at the age of eleven, we moved into the big town of Westbury, which is <laughs> which is not very big. Yep. Um, and uh, I went to uh, Westbury Primary, um, and and then went to a, a school called Deloraine High. Yep. Um, but it was a lovely time. We we had a, a footy oval um, in our street, um, and we played basketball and cricket and uh, and footy. And um, it was just a, that's all we had to do. There was nothing else really uh, to do in the town. Um, you know, there was a pub and there was churches and things like that. But you know, I was I was young and wasn't allowed anywhere near the pub. And Mum and Dad wouldn't let me go near a pub anyway. So we uh, we just played sport. Yeah, well, a lovely part of the world, it must be said. And Westbury, in a sign of things to come, they were the they were the Tigers too, weren't they? Westbury Tigers. <laughs> I've been pretty lucky, Sam. I've only had to learn one theme song. I've played with Westbury, and then for me to improve my football, I had to go to a, a better grade, and that was a team called Longford, uh, where uh, Barry Lawrence was uh, was a, a Longford boy, and I had Barry to Longford and went to the footy and watched <laughs> Barry Lawrence uh, play, and uh, they were the Tigers. <laughs> and then um, I, I, I signed with. Richmond, which were the Tigers, so I've, I've been yellow and black all the way through. That's amazing, isn't it? It was it was meant to be. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, Sam, but uh, uh, you know, Richmond uh, were uh, pretty um, good at the recruiting. Um, they saw uh, myself play in a, a representative game or a, a game of footy um, in, in Launceston where I was trying to, to get in the uh, in the Tasmanian schoolboys side. So I played in this game and uh, must have done something uh, that they liked and uh, the, uh, a fellow by the name of Harry Jenkins who recruited Royce Hart yeah. found my mum in the grandstand and said, we're keen on your boy 
to come to Melbourne. And I was only, I was 15. So. What, did mum, what did mum say, Michael? <laughs> mum said, oh, really? Are you sure you've got the right bloke? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and basically what Richmond, back in those days, Sam, you could only sign two interstate players a year. So you only, if you had a guy from Western Australia or a guy from South Australia or a guy from Tassie, you're only allowed to sign two interstate players a year. Yep. And, and what Richmond tried to do um, was if I became or lived in the Richmond area for two years and played with Richmond under-17s, which was called Essex Height, um, I could I could be automatically a Richmond player. And they, Richmond didn't really want to use a Form 4 on a 15-year-old kid, mm. you know, so... Um, so what I did was um, I was that's all I wanted to do was play league footy if I was ever good enough and uh, what so what I did is mum and dad packed me up got my suitcase and I moved to Richmond um, at the age of 16 and uh, and was going to play with uh, Essex High. Um, so I lived lived in Richmond, which uh, uh, crossed one hurdle, and then um, and if I played for two years, then I was automatically a Richmond player, and they didn't have to use the form four. So my first job was at Dimmies in uh, in the shoe department, was uh, which was a bit of a shock from a kid from the farm. <laughs> and uh, um, I lasted about five weeks, and Mum and Dad came across and said, "Look, Mike, you're probably a little bit young. Um, you know, I think it'd be a good idea to come." back home and try and make a bit of a name for yourself in Tassie, you know, and then see what happens. So um, I packed up and went went home um, and then I decided to, to play my footy with Longford and, and lucky enough in my first game I uh, had a pretty good first half and, and I kicked five in my first senior game with Longford and um, then the phone started to ring and there was people knocking on the door uh, Geelong, North Melbourne there was 10 AFL clubs wanting my signature and said that we'll give you a form four, we'll, we'll put you on a form four and you come to us yeah. so it was a, it was a for a 16-year-old kid and mum and dad, my brothers and sisters, we, it was a real uh, funny time because we didn't we didn't have any managers or anything. We didn't know what we were doing. We all I wanted to do was play league footy. But now there was all these clubs I had choices of. So you know it was a real uh, real confusing time. I mean I had uh, a weekend down at Geelong and had a kick on the Geelong Oval with Polly Farmer, the great Polly Farmer and, and Bobby Davis. Um, I had a, a, a week with North Melbourne. Um, which Barassi was the coach. Um, you know, Graham John from South Melbourne was sitting at our dining room table with a nice little uh, uh, brown bag <laughs> containing some cash. So we had no idea what we were doing. All I wanted to do was play footy. But the great Graham Richmond and Alan Swab were um, real charmers, I think, and and uh, uh, they. Uh, got me to sign with Richmond, which I'm not unhappy about. And Richmond were in 1975 when I signed at, at one 1974. So mm. um, I was probably going to a pretty good club. Gee, fascinating times though, weren't they back then? Um, we'll delve yeah. into that a little bit deeper after this break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. So next, we'll further explore a teenage Michael Roach's second and final move to the mainland. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with Richmond Premiership star Michael Roach. Michael, we were talking about it before the break, but the other clubs came for you. Obviously, 16 years of age, in the seniors for Longford, kicking goals. Richmond couldn't give you the form for at that stage, but plenty of others were prepared to do so. But as you said, you signed on with Richmond. What sense of loyalty did you feel that you had to the Tigers, even at that early stage? Uh, look, they were the first ones, and and they were very professional. Like Alan Swalt, he was just, you know, nearly every week you'd get a letter, can't wait to have you at the Tigers, can't wait to, be, to come back, and all those sort of things. But I suppose in the end, because all these other clubs were willing to, to, to spend a Form 4 or, or sign me on a, a four, four, Form 4, and... Remember, they could only sign one other interstate player. Um, I, I suppose Richmond thought, crikey, if we don't put this kid on a Form 4, we, we're probably going to lose him. Because, I mean, I was a St Kilda supporter because of Barry Lawrence. So, um, But uh, it, was, it was interesting... You know, they'd all, uh, you know, a couple of them come with nice big uh, brown paper bag. Mum and Dad and myself are counting it on the dining room table, mm. thinking, "Wow, we haven't seen money like this." It wasn't wasn't a lot of money, but for a sixteen year old kid that, you know, basically got pocket money, it was it was pretty big. But yeah. I suppose I played in a, a in a in a finals game um, just before I'd signed, and I had a I was playing in the ruck, and I, I played a kick behind play, and I, you know, I, I had a pretty good game, and. Um, that uh, Sunday morning, South Melbourne, um, Graham John and South Melbourne came and said, look, we want to sign you. Would you sign? Here's, here's some money to sign on. And I wasn't certain what to do. But then not long after that, Richmond came and, and Graham Richmond and Alan Swab said, uh, Mrs Roach and Mr Roach, we'll look after your boy. We'll pay his board. Um, we'll put him through school if he wants to go through school. We'll... We'll pay him a clothing allowance. We'll give him a three-year contract. We'll, and that's what mum and dad probably wanted to hear, that that the, their 16-year-old son was going to be looked after. I think I would have been okay, but I think they just convinced or mum and dad that, that I was going to be looked after by Richmond. And, and they were terrific. They did look after me. They didn't go back on their word. And I suppose the other clubs wouldn't have uh, gone back on their word, but they, they probably didn't sort of, you know, sign on, but there was no sort of thing on on what they were going to do for for, for Michael. I suppose, you yeah. know, were they going to get him a job? And I think Richmond just back in those days were were pretty professional. And Graham Richmond was just he was very good at convincing um, the parents that that their boy was going to be looked after. And funnily enough, Michael, you're the second in line of four key forwards that Richmond obviously recruited from Tasmania. You mentioned Royce Hart before you, and then after you, Matthew Richardson and Jack Rewald as well. So not a bad quartet, it must be said. Well, uh, yeah, if Royce's last name had an R in it, would be, uh, well, he's got Royce, Roach, Richardson and Rewald. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is about key forwards at Richmond, but most of them are Tasmanians and... Uh, it's uh, it, it's been uh, terrific that uh, we've been been had some or have had some great goal kickers, you know. So. so when did the nickname Disco stick? Who gave it to you, and why did they give it to you? <laughs> well, um, in in nineteen seventy seven, when I came to Richmond, so I signed at the end of seventy five. Was still only sixteen. Um, uh, I dis- mum and dad decided, and I decided to still have another year in Tassie because. I was playing senior footy and I was learning and we had a good coach and I was still out here quite young. So at the age of 18, I, 
popped across to, to Melbourne and um, they used to have a lot of functions on, on Saturday night. Uh, you know, they'd have, you know, they'd go out to dinner and the whole group would go, uh, Francis Burke, Kevin Bartlett. They had a function down in Fitzroy Street, St Kilda and uh, we went to the function. It was the lay girls which were performing and um, we all had dinner and watched the show and uh, fortunately or unfortunately, Cameron Clayton, who was a Tasmanian, and myself uh, grabbed a few beers and, um, and and I probably had too many. And I got up on stage with Cameron after the lay girls had finished and grabbed the microphone and sang a song called The Disco Duck, which I think was a was a hit song back in the or the you know the late seventies. And I sang it with Cameron. So the next day, I go down to the training on the Sunday morning. And uh, Neil Baum said, "Oh, here comes the disco kid," and uh, and and it just got shortened to disco. That was it. That was it. And that was it. Now I can't dance, I can't sing, I can't clap in any rhythm. But but people think I'm a John Travolta or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I am not. <laughs> uh, Nineteen seventy-seven. Then you're a skinny one hundred ninety-three centimeters. But you're named best first-year player. You play in a reserves premiership against Footscray as well. Nineteen seventy-eight. There's some injuries and and some form issues. You play only the three games. But then Tony Jewell arrives as coach ahead of nineteen seventy-nine. What what influence Michael did did Tony Jewell have on you at this impressionable stage of your career? Um. Well, in 1979, uh, so Barry Richardson was our coach, 77, 78, and I, in 78, tore my hamstring about three times. And I think I was growing into my frame. Mm. I, I worked every morning. Um, I'd go down to the gym and work out in the gym before work. Uh, I needed to get bigger. Um, and I, I didn't know whether I was going to be a key position player, but playing on the wing, I was very skinny and it was the best place to play me. I mean, you see uh, that young Cox that's playing at, at Essendon at the yep. moment. He, he was built a little bit like I was, I suppose, and he's running around on the wing at the moment. I don't think that will be where he will finish up. But once his body gets stronger, he'll probably go key position. And I was similar build to him. So I worked out in the weights for two years. Um, unfortunately, but you know, I kept tearing hamstrings, which was probably you know, either working, not doing my stretching or something. But by 1979, after a, a very big pre-season, um, we had a practice game against Hawthorne. I think it was down at Druin or Maui or somewhere like that. And I was named full forward. Um, and Royce Hart had only just retired at the end of 77. He was our skills coach. And they named me full forward. And I remember it, um, before I ran out into the ground, Neil Baum was still playing with us. And he said, um, uh, Disco, I, I can't jump. I can't run anymore. My knees have had it. But let me tell you, nobody's going to hurt you today. You fly for every mark you go, <laughs> and I'll just protect you. And I ended up um, having a good game and winning a little trophy for the best player in the, on the game. <clears throat> and I ended up kicking six goals, and that was it. I was, I was at full forward from, from then on until they kept, rec- kept recruiting other full forwards namely uh, Brian Taylor, Mark Jackson, Peter Lane. Um, they kept going getting full forwards when they already had one. Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll get to them in a moment. But just for 79, <laughs> I mean, it was wildly successful. I mean, you kicked 90 goals, 90 goals, 34, incredibly accurate. And we'll get to that in a little bit too. But you also did things, Michael, that key forwards 
we're not supposed to be doing in this era. I mean, you regularly used your opposite foot and you actually handballed to teammates in better positions than you. This was almost unheard of. You know, but what was I thinking? It cost, maybe it cost me 100 goals. Yes. You know, but <laughs> no, I, um, we had a, a, well, an up-and-coming side um, that were, were, you know, and the likes of Mark Lee and uh, Dale Waitman, uh, uh, Greg Strawn, Bruce Tempany, uh, all young fellas that had played in the under-19s and the seconds um, were all getting uh, bigger and stronger. And we were starting to look like we're a good side. We had, you know, still had Francis Burke and Mervyn Kane, Brian Wood, Kevin Bartlett uh, still in our side. And, and we possibly had the best centreman playing, which was Jeff Raines. Um, and we had a pretty good side uh, coming together. We didn't make the finals, but we would look like, you know, we were, we were going to be okay. And, and yeah. 1980, we were okay. But I suppose early on when I started to pull forward, a lot of people... Um, you know, didn't know, they didn't know who to play on me um, because, you know, being six foot four and, and reasonably, I mean, not not a great athlete, but I was reasonably quick off the mark. I suppose it took a while for clubs to work out who was best suited to play on me. You know, so well. I wanted to ask you about round five, 1979. Now, you're 20 years of age. You're playing your 17th league game, and it's against reigning Premier Hawthorne at the MCG. Now, you take an incredible high mark at the city end over Kelvin and Terry Moore. Vision, I think it's fair to say, doesn't do it justice, but the still photos of the day certainly do, and they have lived on uh, and will live on forever. Do you remember the feeling? Um, Yeah, I I do. Um, Well... Not so much the feeling. I I, I didn't realise. I mean, it was a, it was a game. There weren't many people at the MCG. We were we were just starting to to come good. And Hawthorne, you know, there were probably only thirty thousand people there. But um, I led out for the ball, and and the, the pack was sort of coming back. And I jumped, and and my knees sort of hit the back of. I'm not sure who it was, whether it was Terry Moore or whoever it was. And then when they jumped, they sort of lifted me up higher and um and i sort of took a chess mark which um it felt all right um but i didn't know you know i thought oh that that felt all right i went back and 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 lucky enough kicked the goal but um unbeknownst to me um uh, there was two photographers there one from the truth newspaper and one from the herald sun just happened to be in the right position on the wing to to capture that uh mark um and my mum, unfortunately, suffered with migraines and was over from Tassie. Mum and dad were over from Tassie. And mum was off, uh, 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 unfortunately, being sick in the toilet when I took that mark. So, right. Um, after after um, the game, uh, I, we didn't go to the aftermatch because mum and dad weren't, you know, they, mum wasn't feeling well. She said, look, if I can get a cup of tea, I'll be, I'll be okay. So we go into the milk bar. I was living in Hawthorne at the time and, and Mum comes running out with about five Herald, Herald, well, I think they were the Herald, the, Herald, or the Herald, the Herald, yep, um, which was a Saturday night paper, and I'm on the front page, um, you know, <laughs> up in the sky taking this mark, and um, amazing, and and look, I've wallpapered my house in that mark. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, well, it's been, you know, round, you know, it's my 17th game, and uh, my dad in his Tasmanian drawl said, Mike, if you never play another game of league footy, you'll be maybe remembered for something. And I suppose that 
that mark, you know, when there's other marks taken, they sort of show that one as well. So yep. I'm just very lucky that the Truth newspaper and the Herald Sun were there to capture it. Well, the photo does go nuts. It's on posters, bags. I think it, it found its way onto men's ties. And, and even, am I right in saying, Michael, a rug design at one point as well? It found its way onto some carpet, I think. Yeah, I think uh, somebody said I'd never ever saw it. And, and I, I, I went to the tribunal once um, in my career but apparently it was either there or it was overseas um, on a rug. Somebody made the rug into that mark or the mark into the rug. So uh, <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it, it, uh, and, and it was, it's, I've been on a tie, um, uh, which, which, you know, I happen to still have three of them. So, um, which is, which is lovely. It's just, um, just lucky. Um, my old boss was Thorold Merritt, who yep. owned Merritt Hassett, the sports specialist. And he, uh, if you you got a pair of shoes, it was put in a bag which had uh, that mark on it. So, yeah, I was pretty lucky um, to be able. To, well, lucky that the Herald Sun and the Truth were there, and um, and I, I was sort of now it still gets brought up when a when a mark's taken. So I'm very lucky. You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Just visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Well, we'll get Michael Roach's recollections of 1980 and the premiership triumph against the Pies after this. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with Richmond Hall of Famer and Coleman medalist Michael Roach. Michael, when 1980 gets mentioned in whatever walk of life or whatever you're doing, what's the first thought that comes to mind? <laughs> well, for me, premiership. <laughs> How good. Um, yeah, just unbelievable. Uh, you know, I, you know, down in Tassie, all I wanted to do was play one game of league footy. At least I had one game. Um, but then to be able to uh, play one game and then play a lot, of, a few games, and then to be able to play in a premiership at the age of 21, I think I was maybe going on to 22. Uh, a dream come true. Um, they they said that you know we, we were lucky, or you know we beat Collingwood by a. Um, 86 points in a in a record margin at that stage, and people started to talk that that, that Richmond Footy Club were, uh, you know, hopefully playing a lot more premierships in the 80s, but that never happened. But uh, as a as a young fella to be able to play in a premiership in front of 107,000, um, and and also have a reasonable year myself, uh, was a dream come true. Oh, you're at the absolute peak of your powers here. I mean, 11 goals against Footscray round seven, two bags of 10 and nine. And after the grand final, you sit on 112.42. Again, just incredibly accurate numbers. What what was your secret, Michael, to being consistently accurate in front of goal? Because as we know, it's proven to be a rather elusive trait for a lot of a lot yeah. of key forwards. Well, I, I was... When... Um, uh, Richmond decided that I was going to go to full forward. Royce Hart was the, the schools coach uh, early on. And Royce said, look, there's nothing wrong with your kicking style, but you've got to get yourself a routine. Um, and he worked on six points uh, for kicking for goal. And I uh, copied those uh, 
those points that Royce wrote down. He gave it to me on a little bit of paper, which I kept in my in my in my sports bag. Um, and I, I basically knew if I missed the goal, what I'd done wrong because I never changed my routine. So sometimes, Sam, you may not get back far enough from the man the mark, and you maybe get a bit close and you lift your head. And I would know if if I missed it what I'd done wrong. Um, and I never really changed my routine. And on Wednesdays, we never trained. Um, but I did. I, I'd grab a bag of balls down at Richmond. There'd be about 20 balls in the bag. I'd go out in the punt road, usually in the in the dark with nobody there, and, and kick 20 from one angle, 20 from in front, 20 from the other, other angle, and do it every Wednesday night um, and practice my goal kicking. Because, Sam, sometimes... You know, you'd have a very good fallback um, that it may be too good for you. And but if if I got four kicks uh, and kick three goals, one, I've done my job. Well, I would have liked to kick more, but yeah. if I get four kicks and kick four goals, I've, I've I'm still contributed to the side. So I used to try and average one goal a quarter um, if I if I could. Um, but I it was nice for my teammates to often say that. You know, if Rochi marked it, they'd go back to the centre um, because, you know, I really practised my goal kicking and I, it was important. They kick it to me. I've got to try and put it through the, the big sticks and, and I worked hard on my goal kicking and, um, you know, and I think, you know, it was pretty successful, my routine. So You kicked 112, but am I, am I right in saying you might have kicked 160 if KB hadn't pinched so many out of your mitts <laughs> when you, you just briefly juggled the odd one and he was there in a flash? Well, you just... You just never, you never led to KB. <laughs> if he was 70 out, he'd try and kick for goals. So, um, and if he did kick it to you, I'd drop it anyway because it would be such a shock. But uh, you basically learnt not to fumble because if you took the first grab of a, a ball and the second grab happened to be out in front of you, this little pair of hands would just take it out of your, your, your second grab and be running back with his hands in the air. He's kicked the goals. So... He was a terrific little player and uh, and, and just uh, just a great teammate. But um, you know, he, his job was there to kick goals, and that's what he did. I, I think in 1980 he kicked over 80 goals. You know, he so, did. Yeah, he did. Um, I think he had 140 shots as well. Just in, incredible. Yeah, that's right. Incredible that's volume right. of goals. And the, Michael, the premiership obviously is the goal for any player. That's stating the obvious. So, what's it like when you win by as much as you did? The 81 points. I mean, the game was effectively over at half time. So, there's a real chance to soak it in, to enjoy it. A huge crowd, 107,000. What was it like? And what were the celebrations like? Um, well, we were always, because Tony Jewell was a fire and brimstone coach, none of us. Uh, mm. at half time or even three quarter time smiled or thought we've got this one because T- if TJ had seen you you, you, you know you, you could have had a clipboard thrown at you you know so um, we just kept our head down and, and, uh, and just kept uh, you know powering on um, and I think in the end you know Collingwood unfortunately were, were out of gas and we probably could have uh, won by a bit more, but probably took our our, uh, our foot off the pedal. But um, yeah, we the celebrations were huge. Um, uh, you know, probably because I'd never played in the premiership. Or I played in 1977 in the reserve, but a senior premiership. 
um, probably didn't uh, probably went too hard on the Saturday night and didn't enjoy the, didn't enjoy the the Sunday. Um, I know I got home. Um, I think my dad still remembers. I, I got home and, and and yelled out that it's four forty six. That's what time I got home in the morning, which was pretty late, pretty late in those days. But I'd, uh, yeah, really enjoyed the celebrations, um, and probably didn't enjoy the Sunday as much as I should because I had a bit of a headache. Yeah. So with a nickname like you had, there was a reputation to try and uphold as well. But is it is, is it is it too simplistic, Michael, to say you know you didn't play finals at all in eighty one? Is it too simplistic to say? You, you partied too hard or the, the same hunger wasn't there as, as a result? How do you reflect on what happened the yeah, following year? Probably, um, probably that. Um, we, we, we're only quite young um, and, and maybe did get a little bit carried away. Um, uh, we, we had a few injuries um, and, and maybe, you know, we didn't recruit uh, all that well. Um, you know, we had a pretty good list anyway and maybe didn't put too many new players in 1981 and then 1982. I mean, Tony Jill got the flick after 1981 because we didn't make the finals. So, um, and they put Francis Burke in as our coach. Um, we recruited Morris Rioli, who was an absolute uh, champion, and and uh, were favourites to win 82. But unfortunately, uh, Carlton uh, got us in in 82. Um, and uh, Helen D'Amico, uh, <laughs> famous for running on the ground, probably upset a few of us young blokes, and we probably didn't uh, concentrate as well. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Michael Roach on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be back with Disco right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Former Richmond fan favourite Michael Roach is our guest today. Well, Disco, we touched on this earlier, but you really made a name for yourself out of full forward, out of the goal square, but... The full forwards kept coming. Mark Jackson, Brian Taylor. I mean, the emergence of BT in 82 actually saw you moved up the ground and into the ruck despite your success playing forward. I mean, Cloak was there as well. How do you look back on this stage of your career and, and, and the fight for positions that was taking place at Richmond? Yeah, I, I sort of look back and, and think, you know, I wish I had have been able to play full forward um, all my career. I probably would have had probably 50 or 60 games away from full forward. Um, but Tony Jewell always played me full forward, um, even when Mark... See, Mark Jackson in 1980 kicked 130 goals in the seconds and never got a game. Mm. So, you know, you go to the game at half-time and Jacko would have eight at half-time. I think, crikey, I'm going to have to play well here or they'll put Jacko in. But Jacko probably never suited Richmond's style um, that, that we had. Um, and plus we had David Cloak and... But then 1981, they recruited Brian Taylor from, from Western Australia. And BT was a fantastic player. Um, but BT really couldn't play anywhere else but full forward. Um, because I could sort of run and jump, I suppose, you know, that we were both uh, playing well enough to play in, in the side. But, um, you know, I played sort of centre forward, half forward flank. And then in, in 1982, we had some injuries in the ruck. So I played most of the year in the ruck. Um, not very well, but was playing well enough to get a game. But um, BT um, 
was playing very well and hurt his knee in 1982, but he had about 50 goals up sort of halfway during the year. So Brian was doing well, but there was games where, you know, Francis and, and a lot of the other coaches couldn't decide on who was going to be at full forward. So if BT started at full forward and never had a kick in the first quarter, I'd be there in the second quarter, you know. So it, it never worked really well for both of us. And I suppose our careers... Um, uh, would have been better off if one of us had left and mm. and BT got a pretty good offer, to, well, a very good offer to go to Collingwood and he left because it, it was a difficult time. We were both full forwards, but only one of us could play there. So, it, 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 yeah, and the coaches, you know, just wouldn't make up their mind which one they wanted to play full forwards. So yeah, it yeah. And, a difficult time. And obviously after Jacko went to Melbourne, BT went to Collingwood, as you say, you did get back to full forward in 85 and you kicked... 80 goals that I think some people consider one of your, your finest campaigns. But the club lost its way after 82, didn't it? I mean, you mentioned um, losing the grand final to the Blues, but then in the, the years to come, I think you had three different coaches basically in the next three seasons. What, what went wrong? Yeah, we did. Well, we had 82, 83 was Francis, then 84, Mike Patterson, 85, Paul Sproul, mm. 86, Tony Jewell had come back. Um, we just, we just uh, were... were we're trying to get it get it right, um, but they, Richmond just you know just kept sacking their coaches. Um, our recruiting was ordinary. We lost um, Jeff Raines, uh, David Cloak, Brian Wood, Brian Taylor. We lost. I mean, I was happy BT left, but we're good friends. But it was best for my career if he'd gone anyway. Yeah. So, um, uh, but we just lost our way, and in the end, you know, in 89 we had no money. I mean, I remember um, rattling cans on the corner of Punt Road and Bridge Road to try and raise enough money to save our club. Yeah. Um, um, so we'd just lost our way. Uh, you know, back in those days, there was a lot of, um, um, you know, when you went for another club, you, you had to had to pay for the, you know, the, uh, I forget what the name's called, but you, you had this fee that you had to pay. And Richmond, you know, tried to get Collingwood back by they took cloak and reins we tried to get we got a near phil walsh um you know a lot of other players craig stewart from collingwood and it cost us a lot of money to do so but they weren't the the, the, the same players of what what jeff reins and david cloak were for richmond so yeah we just lost our way and just by 1989 um, you know we were broken nearly out of the league we had to raise a million dollars in four weeks or richmond were going to fold you know and Look where we are now. We've got, you know, a hundred thousand members. You know, three out of four premierships, um, money in the bank, and a very, very strong club. So yeah, we, uh, yeah, and and look, we've had some some great players over the years. I'd go, to, you know, I live in Richmond, and and I'd go to the MCG and watch uh, Matty Richardson play. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of other really good players. I mean, there were some good players, but Richo was the one that. The supporters loved, and uh, you'd go to watch him play, you know. But um, we're a great, we're a great club again. Um, we've always been a good club, but we just lost our way there in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, that save our skins campaign was eighty nine ninety saved the club from bankruptcy yep. that you touch on. I mean, pretty emotional time, but you were visible there, and, and you did stay involved in the club in retirement. Specialist coach, uh, team manager of the reserves for a time as well, and. As I say, you played a pretty active part in that campaign to get the club uh, out of financial trouble. But just to rewind a fraction, Michael, obviously 
uh, off the back of 85. Injuries, unfortunately. Well, they, they played a pretty big part, unfortunately, in, in your journey. But yeah. particularly around that time, I think you broke some bones in your back. I think there was some uh, hamstrings yeah. followed probably as a result. There were Achilles operations, knee operations. It must have been frustrating given the mind was clearly willing, but you're an athletic player and the, and the body couldn't follow. Yeah, it, Sam, I looked at it, I think, geez, you know, I'm sitting on about 170 games and I'm 25, 26. I think, yeah, I can hopefully go till I'm 31, 32 and play 250 games and hopefully kick, you know, a few more goals and stuff. But I, I broke some bones in my back playing against Essendon and, and, and from then on, I just kept tearing hamstrings. I was never really flexible anyway, but then I ruptured two Achilles um, and I had a couple of knee uh, operations. Um, and in the end, you know, I, I just lost all my athleticism. And, and it was embarrassing, um, you know, running around trying to get my 200 games up. I, it mm. took, I think, about five years to get 25 games, I think, or something like that, to get to 200. And, and I remember, um, you know, I'd been dropped after the first few games in, in, in 1989. And Kevin Bartlett was our coach. And, and I was running around captain in the seconds, which I didn't know I'm doing, but I couldn't even get a kick in the seconds. So um, I just decided, I went to Kevin Bartlett and I said, look, KB, this is embarrassing. I, you know, I'm embarrassing myself um, and I think it's about time I retired. And, and, and KB said to me, he said, look, um, you know, we're struggling anyway. I mean, we've, 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 we're sitting on the bottom of the ladder. You pick a game that you'd like to... Uh, to retire and I'll put you in the seniors, which I, I thank him to get my 200th game. So I got my wheelchair going at full pace and broke through the banner against Carlton out of Waverley. Yep. <laughs> it lasted about, lasted about 10, oh, 10 minutes, I reckon. I was off the ground and they got me off the ground. It was, uh, and then I sat on the bench for most of the game and the last couple of minutes they put me back on the ground and I'm trying to make my way up to full forward and and Craig Lambert, who was a great little player and a great handballer, I wasn't even calling for the ball. I was trying to get the full forward. He handballed the ball out to me. Um, and I kicked the ball just as the siren blew and it went through the goals. And I thought, that's it. I've, I've, I've done enough. I've got my 200. My last kick was a goal and I'll I'll retire and I'm happy. You know, so, yep. um, yeah, very, uh, very thankful to Richmond Footy Club. Uh, they owe me nothing. Um, I... I owe Richmond everything, and um, uh, I'm just very lucky. I'm a Richmond Richmond person. Uh, very well said, Michael. And and you say very thankful and maybe even very fortunate, but very deserving too. I think to get to 200, magnificent achievement. You deserve to get there. And now your legacy, it must be great. As a seven-time leading goal kicker, to have a legacy at the club that is the Michael Roach Medal, which is awarded to the club's leading goal kicker each year, must be something you're really proud of as well. Yeah, I, I was really honoured um, to be given that, uh, to name it after myself. I mean, I've often often thought, I hope they don't change it, but <laughs> Richo won it 13 times and <laughs> Jack's won it 10. So <laughs> I, I'm very lucky. Uh, I only won it seven, but it's named after me. So I suppose I, you know, I've kicked 100 goals. So yeah, those those two boys haven't, but it was it's a bit harder <laughs> to play right. full forward. You can remind them of that. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep reminding them of that, but it's a bit harder to play full forward than it was in my day. But I'm I'm, I'm very honoured that Richmond uh, uh, named uh, the, the the goal kicking medal after myself and another 
um, thing that you haven't brought up is I was very honoured when they, they picked my son up, Tom, um, under the father and son rule, and he was lucky enough to play 11 games. Didn't quite make it. Had some good games, but uh, after three years, um, uh, they parted ways. But that was a, a, a terrific uh, feeling to have your son run out to, to represent the club you played for. Um, um, and Tom went on to play some pretty good footy in VFL and Western Australia and, uh, and, and around the amateurs and stuff. So that was a real honour as well to have your, your son run out in a, in, a, in a Richmond jumper as well. Michael Roach, it's been great to catch up today. A, a premiership, Coleman medals, All-Australian spot. What more could you want as a key forward at the end of uh, a long career? Moreover, you did it with an athletic flair that made you a fan favourite, and that mark against the Hawks will be talked about forever. Well done on all you achieved, and, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sam. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Just jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.